continuing our series through the Gospel of Mark, and uh, we're going to be taking communion after the sermon. And so in light of that, let's dive right into uh, God's Word. If you have your Bibles, please turn to our passage, Mark chapter 12, verses 13 to 17. Mark chapter 12, verses 13 to 17. I'll be reading from the ESV, and may God bless the reading of his inspired and sufficient work, word. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius. And let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Amen. The word of the Lord. Uh, Today's sermon is not about making sure you all pay your taxes, even though we are closing in the uh, the year end uh, for 2018. Jesus is in Jerusalem. And he's there with his disciples, and uh, like I mentioned two weeks ago, it's the final week of his earthly life before going to the cross. He entered into Jerusalem um, on a day that we know, that we remember as Palm Sunday. And on that day, he was welcomed in with shouts of Hosanna, with palm branches being waved in the air and laid on the ground before him. Well, the very next day, Jesus went into the temple, And he ended up overturning tables and driving out the money changers because Israel had corrupted the house of God. You see, it was called to be a house of prayer for the nations. And the religious leaders had turned that into a marketplace of corruption. The people loved it, but the Jewish leaders hated it. And after that unforgettable scene, Mark tells us that the chief priests and the scribes, they feared Jesus but they also were seeking a way to destroy him. Okay, they started scheming together on ways to destroy Jesus after that temple incident. Well, the next day is Tuesday of Passion Week, and it was full of increased and heightened conflict between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. In chapter 11, Jesus had a fierce debate with the scribes, okay, the scholars of the Torah, about his authority. Then in chapter 12, Jesus gave uh, a scathing parable of the vineyard as a foretelling of his rejection as the cornerstone and the coming wrath of God that would fall upon those who rejected the Son. And after that passage, the religious leaders were furious. Our passage takes place after this parable on the same day. So we're still in Tuesday. A lot of things happened on the Tuesday of Passion Week, a lot of conflict. Now, before I give you the outline and get in the passage, I want to briefly tell you why I think this is an important passage and a message for us today. Like I shared, it's about a lot more than paying your taxes. If you have a W-2, it's already done for you, right? You're like, oh, I hope I get some money back, right? It's much about much more than paying taxes. It's about much more than Jesus just outsmarting the Jewish leaders, It's a message about the Bible and government. And I feel like for Christians living in this day and age, understanding 
a biblical theology about government and politics and our civic duty is so relevant and so important for us. Today's message is a message that warns us of nationalism, but also reminds us of our responsibility. And most importantly, it's a message about identifying as citizens of God while living as citizens in this world. Okay, we hold dual citizenship. Okay, if you call yourself a Christian today and you believe in the gospel and trust in life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you hold dual citizenship. You are a citizen of God's eternal, everlasting kingdom, and you are a citizen of this world, whether it's the United States or Korea or Canada or Mexico or wherever it might be. And we need to understand the dynamics at play. We need to understand what that means for us. Here's the outline of today's message. Um, We're going to see three things as the sermon is called Christ and Caesar. First, we're going to see the test of our citizenship. Next, we're going to see the responsibilities of earthly citizenship. And lastly, the call to eternal citizenship. So the test of citizenship, the responsibilities of earthly citizenship, and the call to eternal citizenship. Now, if I were to ask you, what is your nationality? How would you respond? And that's a question of citizenship, not ethnicity. And if you're a U.S. citizen, you have a U.S. passport, you'd say, I'm an American. Or if you're from another country, you'd name that country. But for me, growing up as a Korean American, I found that every couple of years, my citizenship and my allegiance is tested. Every couple of years when it's the World Cup or the Olympics, I'm not always rooting for America. I start rooting for Korea, and I want Korea to beat, to beat America, whether it's in soccer or in golf, right? The golf, the women, the men, they do nothing for us. But the Korean women won the gold medals, and I'm so proud of Envy Park and those amazing golfers. And then Winter Olympics, I totally don't care, except unless it's short track, short track and figure skating, right? Um, and so I suddenly start rooting for Koreans, like, like I am a Korean citizen, Right? I mean, to me, Apollo Ono is still a villain. I cringe every time I see him with his gold medals, and I'm like, you don't deserve that. Right? You push the Korean racer out of your way. Anyways, that's just a, a confession of how I fail my American citizenship and need to work on that. Um, but in our passage today, Jesus encounters a test of his loyalty and his allegiance. It's something of a test of his own kind of citizenship on this earth. You see, the Jewish leaders, as they were scheming to destroy Jesus, they sent two groups of people to test Jesus. Mark tells us that they were the Pharisees and the Herodians, okay? And it's important to note that these two groups, the Pharisees and the Herodians, they were not allies. They were not normal allies. They were actually political opponents, but they shared a common interest in trying to end Jesus's ministry. You know you're a formidable threat, when two enemies align to defeat you, right? It's like when Joker and Two-Face aligned to try to defeat Batman. They didn't even like each other, right? But they all wanted to beat Batman. Anyways, okay. Um, the Pharisees were conservatives, okay? They were all about Jewish orthodoxy. They despised the idea of being subjected to Rome. The Herodians were the exact opposite. They were more liberal, and they aligned with Rome for political and financial gain. That's why King Herod was ruling, 
right? Ruling uh, Galilee and Palestine. He didn't get to rule in Jerusalem. That was Pontius Pilate, right? But everywhere else, King Herod got to rule and he collected taxes and he had power all under the guise of Rome. And so uh, he benefited from Roman rule and the Herodians did under him. The Pharisees saw the Herodians as sellouts while the Herodians saw the Pharisees as foolish. They saw they they were impractical. But together, Though they despised one another's politics, they hated Jesus more. So they aligned against Jesus. One commentator writes, the Pharisees hated Jesus because he was disrupting their religious agenda. While the Herodians hated him because he threatened their political arrangement. Mark tells us that these two groups were sent to Jesus to trap him. Like a pack of wolves out on a hunt, the Jewish leaders had bad intentions for Jesus. They wanted to destroy him. And they open with a flattering statement. They call him teacher. They describe him as someone who is not swayed by the opinions of man or appearances. They say, Jesus, we know that you're someone who always speaks the truth. You always speak the truth of God. And they're just flattering him. They're buttering him up. That statement was true, but it was insincere. It was a setup for their trap. And after their flattery, they ask this kind of ingenious, evil, impossible question. Like when you trick a person in a coin toss, heads I win, tails you lose. Right? Have you ever done that? I used to do that to my brother all the time. Right? When he was, before, when he was naive and, and didn't realize what I was doing, I'd be, hey, let's flip a coin. Loser has to wash the dishes. Heads I win, tails you lose. And he'd be like, tails, you lose. (laughs) Anyways, um, they asked Jesus a trap question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Now, why was this question such a trap? Why was it so dangerous to Jesus? And the answer is this, because if Jesus had said, yes, it is lawful to pay your taxes to Caesar, he would be aligning with Rome. The Jews would brand him as a traitor, as a sellout. They would abandon him in disgust. You see, the Jews hated this tax, this imperial census tax. That's what it was. And it was a tax that every man and woman had to pay directly to Rome. In the minds of the Pharisees, in the minds of nationalistic Jews, they were paying for their own occupation. They were paying Caesar to send Roman troops to you know, um, oversee their country, to rule over their country. They felt like they were feeding their captors, so they hated this tax. But if if Jesus said, hey, no, don't pay taxes to Caesar. We are our own people. He doesn't deserve our taxes. Then Jesus would be branded as an insurrectionist. He'd be branded as a rebel. And Rome, they may tolerate, Rome may have tolerated diversity in religion, but they did not tolerate rebellion. They did not tolerate insurrection. And so if Jesus came off as an insurrectionist, as a rebel, the Roman authorities would have come down on Jesus and his followers and immediately crushed them with physical force. So that was the test. How do you respond? Right? No, don't pay your taxes. Rome comes on you. Yes, pay your taxes. The Jews will turn their backs on you. Would Jesus align with his Jewish identity or would he align with his civic duty as a subject of Rome? But Jesus' response was brilliant. It was devastating. He sees what they're trying to do. He sees their hypocrisy. And so he asked them, bring me a denarius. 
bring me a denarius, and he asks, whose inscription is on it? They produce one, and they respond that it's Caesar's inscription on it. Now, what was a denarius? A denarius was a silver coin of Roman currency. It, rep- it represented one day's wages for a worker. So imagine it's like a $100 bill, right? $100 bill, right, for the young ones. The older guys are like, $100? It's nothing, right? Anyways, um, $100 bill. And on the front of this coin, of the silver coin, there is an image of Caesar, and there's an inscription in, uh, yeah, in lettering saying, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. And on the back of the coin, there is an image of Caesar's mother and the words Pontifex Maximus, meaning high priest. This coin represented idolatry and blasphemy to the Jews. The Jews did not believe that Caesar was God, nor would they believe that his mother was their high priest. Right? That was blasphemy to their Jews. And yet, ironically, when he asked these Jewish leaders, produce for me a denarius, they had one. Right? They're like, oh, I got one in my pocket. Right? Showing that they're somewhat complicit with Roman money, with Roman rule, with Roman government. Right? Then Jesus says some of the most significant words in history. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Let me expand on this revolutionary statement in our second point, the responsibilities of earthly citizenship. Now, uh, I need need you to bear with me because uh, there are no jokes and there are no illustrations in this next point. If I do make a joke, it's just ad lib, right? An illustration is probably going to be bad. But so just kind of bear with me. Put on your thinking caps. There's a lot of content and even history in this section, but we're looking at the responsibilities of earthly citizenship. Now, the reason why this statement was so revolutionary is because up until then, religion and government were necessarily connected. I know for us as Americans, we live uh, in a democracy and we have these like, ideas of kind of separation of church and state. I'm not going to talk about that today. But in Jesus' day and up until then, right, religion and government were necessarily connected. You see, nations, they weren't simply formed by military might. They weren't only formed by social contract. Religious authority was part of the reason why People obeyed the emperor. This is why Caesar claimed to be God. This is why even in Egypt, Pharaoh claimed to be God, right? Because they wanted all of their subjects, all of their citizens to obey them as they obey God, right? Israel was set up in a similar way with religious authority and government rule. Israel was a theocracy, meaning that God was their ruler. God was their king, starting with Abraham, and it was formalized under Moses, They were a nation ruled directly by the commands of God. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll see all of these laws, right? In Numbers, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and the laws are consisting of three broad categories. The moral, right? The ceremonial, those are the temple laws. And the civic laws, right? The civil laws. And those are very like governmental practical uh, laws. And it's the word of God. It's the Bible that governed Israel, not just as a spiritual gathering, but as a nation state. That's what it meant for Israel to be a theocracy. But Israel didn't get there overnight. Moses went to his people to try and lead them out of slavery. And they wouldn't believe Moses was a messenger and a prophet of God, and they wouldn't believe until God showed up in power, until God proved to the Hebrews that Moses was his anointed leader, that Moses was his prophet. And so they saw power, they saw God, and then they submitted to his rule, 
to his leadership. That's how people were wired. This political religious connection continued hundreds and hundreds of years afterwards, right? If you remember your European history, all the kings wanted to become popes. And all the popes expected to be kings. Why? Because there was this marriage between religious and political power in their minds. Even today, we see this ideology among Muslims and the attempted formation of the Islamic State, right? They, through ISIS, they wanted to no longer just be Saudi Arabia, right, or Syria. They wanted to form one Islamic state under Allah, right, led by the Quran. Okay. But with this one statement of Jesus, render unto Caesars what is Caesars and what, God, what belongs to God to God, Jesus affirms the legitimacy of human authority and government even when it's not allied to God. Let me explain what I'm saying. Theologians and historians say that this is the beginning of Western political philosophy. You see, Jesus is telling the Jews, he's telling his followers that Rome doesn't need to be Jewish for Jewish Jews to obey its laws. And to Christians, he's saying, Rome doesn't need to be Christian for you to submit to Rome's laws. Does that, does that make sense? We don't need to make the emperor Christian. And for us as Americans, we don't need to elect a Christian president or Christian governors or Christian senators and be so obsessed with marrying religion and politics. It seems obvious to us, but in Jesus' day, this was revolutionary. If Christians and Jews were to live under Roman protection, Roman peace, Roman commerce, then Jesus says you should pay Roman taxes, okay? And it's not just a practical truth, it's actually something that will glorify God, okay? The emperor doesn't need to be Christian for you to obey him, okay? What Jesus is telling us is that all Christians should be responsible for their earthly citizenship, okay? Whether we are citizens of a democratic America, whether you are a citizen of communist China, Muslim Indonesia, or any earthly government... All Christians should respect the laws. All Christians should pay their taxes. All Christians should honor their leaders and pray for their leaders and be faithful, excellent citizens. This theology of government is affirmed by both the apostles Peter and Paul. Peter does this in 1 Peter 2. Paul does this in Romans 13. Uh, Let's look at Paul's words first. This is what Paul writes. He writes, let every person... Be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Verse 6. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, and respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Let's go to 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 13. Peter writes very similarly, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, right? Every human institution, democratic, communistic, whatever it might be, whether it be the emperor as supreme, verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Both Peter and Paul are telling us to submit 
to our earthly authorities, right? They would not have been down with the hashtag not my president kind of moral outrage that happened several years ago. I know maybe some of you were not happy. Some of us were not happy with the outcome of the election, but the, all of the, the outrage and talk of I'm moving to Canada, yeah, I didn't see that many people move to Canada, or even people just have that, 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 that yeah, that attitude of this is not my president. I will not pledge my allegiance to it. Peter and Paul were not okay with that. That is not a reflection right, of biblical submission. That's not a reflection of how God calls us to be responsible, earthly citizenship, okay? Why must we submit to earthly authorities? They tell us, because they've been instituted by God. And Peter actually says one more thing. He says, and we should obey for God's sake, for God's glory. Now, as you consider the words of Peter and Paul, you have to remember their context, okay? If some of you think Trump is bad, If some of you think, imagine, man, imagine if we lived in North Korea and there's that despot or that tyrant or we lived in another country with with some kind of outrageous leader that we do not respect and we would not want to live under. Who did Peter and Paul live under? Who was their emperor? Who was their Caesar? And the answer was Nero. Nero, one of the most wicked, most terrible tyrants who ever ruled the Roman Empire, Nero, who persecuted Christians, who hated Christians. Nero supposedly had gardens, and he would light at night Christians on fire to illuminate his garden. That's what early church history tells us. And Peter and Paul say, honor the emperor. Be subject to your authorities. They weren't writing romantically. They were writing biblically. They were reflecting the command, the heart, the authority of Christ. They knew, as vile as Nero was, they knew that his authority came as a result of God's authority. Now, this is so difficult to grasp. We would ask, why, God, would you put Stalin in power? Why would you put Hitler in power? Why would you put Nero in power? That doesn't make any sense to us. In those moments where it's mysterious and difficult, we're called to trust in the sovereign plan of God. God put Pilate in power over Jerusalem, knowing that he would send his only begotten son to an unjust death on the cross. So Jesus says, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Mark Dever, a pastor in our nation's capital, he wrote an amazing, and he gave an amazing sermon On this topic, it's titled Jesus Pays Taxes. You can look it up. Some people think it's one of the best sermons ever preached on politics. It's 70 minutes though, right? If I preached 70 minutes, y'all wouldn't be back, right? Uh, But I I went through the whole thing and there are a couple ideas that I, I really appreciated from him. This is what he says on Jesus' great words. With his answer, Jesus unhitched God's people from any one government severing the national covenant that extended all the way back to Moses. If followers of Jesus could support Rome with their taxes, which government today, no matter how corrupt, can't Christians support? Jesus is in effect saying, pay the tax of the government that enlists the soldiers who are about to drive the nails into my hands. Think about that. Pay the tax of the government 
that enlists the soldiers who are about to drive the nails into my hands and do this for God's sake. Do this as a faithful, earthly citizen. Do this as a witness of the kingdom of God. Dever goes on to say, Christians are like by God's grace. And he says this in the nicest way possible. Christians are by, like God's grace, by God's grace, like cockroaches. We can survive anything by the grace of God. Brothers and sisters, I've been reflecting on this truth more and more. You and I, we must not be dependent on just governments. We are not dependent And we must not be dependent on just moral and righteous presidents or getting the right people on the Supreme Court, right? Or electing our tribe or people from our worldview or to reflect our preferences or our beliefs into positions of power as governors or senators or house representatives. You and I, we are called to depend on God alone. Christians, by the grace of God, are able to survive and flourish as an exiled minority. Okay? I really do believe the days are coming sooner than later when we're going to feel more and more oppression politically, socially. See, Christians, we want to win. Okay? We want to be dominant. We want our voice to be heard. We want our laws to be passed. But if you look at the scriptures, okay, This was not the pattern for the early church. This was not God's will for his disciples, for his apostles. And I believe that we need to prepare to experience what it's like to be a minority. To remember that our identity is on this earth. We are exiles. We are sojourners. This was true when God's people were captives in Egypt and Babylon. This was true when the church was persecuted by Rome. And I believe it's still true today as Christians persevere in North Korea, as the underground church explodes in China, as Christians stand firm in Afghanistan or Saudi Arabia or Indonesia and various other countries with tyrants in power or as vastly, vastly, like, yeah, like completely lacking political influence and as a vast minority in their countries. The goal of God is not to establish American-like democratic countries throughout the world. That's not God's agenda, right? That's not the mission of God, to make a bunch of countries like America. The goal of God is to establish his church by making disciples of all nations by the power of the gospel. This leads me to my final point, the call to eternal citizenship. Jesus doesn't simply say, Render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. He also, says, he also says, give to God the things that are God's. So we must ask, what belongs to God? And the simple answer is everything, right? So everything belongs to God, but that's not always helpful. If you make everything everything, then it's kind of like blah, right? You see, Jesus has something more specific in mind, far more specific. And the answer is found as we reflect upon Jesus' statement about the coin. He says, bring me a denarius. And they do. And he says, whose image is on it? They say, Caesar. He says, then render to Caesar's what is his. You see, the coin belongs to Caesar because his face is on it. His name is on it. But we must ask, what about God? What bears the image of God? Or better yet, who 
bears the image of God. And the word that Jesus uses in the Greek, it's the same translation for the Hebrew in Genesis 1.26, where Moses writes that Adam and Eve, that human beings were created in the image of God. This is the point that Jesus is making. You and I, we don't bear the image of the state. We don't simply bear the image of being American or or Asian or white or black or our ethnicity. You and I as human beings, as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, we bear the image of God. And so if we follow Jesus' line of thinking, we bear God's image and we belong to him. Our allegiance, our devotion, our worship, must all be to God first. To God first. There are two implications. First is this. All that we do is accountable to God. Do you understand that? You see, if you rebel from Caesar, there will be Caesar's wrath to pay. Okay? If you're an insurrectionist, he will send his soldiers upon you, upon your town, upon your household. There will be consequences if you disobey your emperor. The same thing goes for us. We break the laws, you're going to get a ticket, right? You're going to get a fine or you'll get thrown in jail. You know, some of our police officers here, they'll have to come after you. They don't want to, but you broke the law, right? Uh, I I, um, often listen to sports talk radio, and there's this commercial that always comes up. And it's kind of funny, but it's so memorable. It's good marketing, I guess. And they say the three most terrifying letters in the English language are the I-R-S, Right? And it's like, it's like an accounting you know, firm. Like, so call the accountant and we'll make sure your books are square. But that's very true, right? Tax season is like, we're going to close the 2018 books. We're going to pay our taxes in 2019. And we're going to pray to God that the IRS doesn't come after us, right? It's so stressful. It's so terrifying. We do not want that. And so we understand that we are accountable if we fudge our taxes, if we cheat our taxes, if we get caught, there will be wrath to pay, hell to pay right? And so that strikes fear in our hearts, right? So we, we need to find a good accountant, right? Do your turbo tax well if you're going to go solo, right? Here's a question. Do you understand in a greater, in a more e- e- eternal, holy sense, you and I, we are accountable to God, that each and every one of us will stand before God in judgment, And the only way, the only way to stand before God and be declared innocent, the only way to stand before his holy throne and be accepted and loved and justified is through the bloodshed work of Jesus Christ. We must stand behind the cross to be safe before the holy presence of God. So brothers and sisters, consider your life. Consider your works, your priorities, your actions. As we close out this year, would you do an accountability of your life and realize it is all lived before the presence of God. You belong to him. Another thing that comes from this, if we belong to God, we must reflect God. That's what it means to bear the image of God. It means that we can know him. We can be like him and we can reflect him to the world. That's what it means for us to Bear the image of God, to know him, to have a relationship with him, to be like him, and to reflect him. 
So I've stated earlier that Christians are called to submit to earthly authorities. But this is not a call to unconditional submission to earthly authorities. The reality is this. All earthly rulers are fallible. And there are many evil earthly rulers, whether it was Pharaoh or Caesar in the Bible. There was Nebuchadnezzar, right, who demanded that everyone in his empire bow down before a golden idol in Babylon. There's Hitler, Stalin in the 20th century, and many more tyrants and despots. And in those moments, we are called to obey God rather than man. That's what Peter said. Peter, in the book of Acts, he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and Jesus has already ascended to heaven, but now the Jewish leaders are now persecuting the early church, and they're going after the apostles and going after the leaders, and Peter won't stop preaching Christ, and they say, shut up, stop preaching, right? And what does Peter say? He says, we must obey God rather than men. They throw him in jail. A miraculous earthquake comes. The doors fling open. He says, Are you going to obey or are you going to stop preaching? He says, no, we must obey God rather than men. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to bow down in idolatry before that idol of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar throws them in the fires, and yet they do not burn. A fourth man comes to their rescue, comes and walks among them, protecting them from the fires of Nebuchadnezzar. They refused to obey the laws of Babylon because they were committed to obeying the laws of God. Rahab and the spies protected the spies of Israel, refused to obey the commands, the political pressure, the authorities in her city out of fear and obedience to God. There will be moments when you and I must be willing to disobey earthly rulers out of our obedience to God. We saw this in our country during the civil rights movement. And I believe that there will be moments in our lives, I hope that there will be moments in our lives where we would have the opportunity to stand with God, to stand for him and his kingdom in opposition to evil, injustice, cruelty, and wickedness. That's our allegiance. That's our call as citizens of a heavenly kingdom. Finally, let me encourage you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, all men and women, every human being on this earth, we are created in the image of God, but the reality is this: sin marred the image of God. That image, we, we, we've, we've, we, we've, we've forgotten it. We've lost touch with it. That image of God has been stained by the destructive power of sin. So the question is, how do we get it back? How do we experience again the image of God in our lives that we can know him, that we can be like him, that we can reflect him? Well, the answer is this. You and I on our own, we cannot. Despite our best efforts, despite our greatest intentions, we cannot. And God knew this. And this is why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who was the image of the invisible God. Jesus came down and he walked among us. Jesus came down and lived a perfect, sinless life in our place. Jesus entered into Jerusalem knowing that he would die and suffer on that cross. Why? Because we needed him to take our place. We needed him to give his life as a ransom for us. Jesus Christ is the way that you and I 
can have the image of God fully restored in our lives. Today, if you are here and you want to know God, today, if you're here and you want to be like God, Today, if you're here and you're like, I want to start living for God's glory and God's kingdom, the only way for you to do this is through the power of Jesus Christ for you, in you, and through you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace, the grace of the gospel that restores for us your image, that privilege of being able to know you, to be like you, and to reflect you. We thank you that this is a gift you give us, not by works, but by grace through faith alone. And so I pray that you would give each and every one of us here today that gift of faith, that power to believe in your promises and in your love. God, would you work in us that we might live for your glory? Would you call us to your heavenly citizenship? And would you help us and give us the courage and the strength to live out that heavenly citizenship here on earth? May we reflect your truth. May we reflect your goodness to friends and neighbors who do not know you, who desperately need you. And God, we pray not only for our church here, in Lakeview Terrace. We don't just pray for the churches here in Los Angeles or in America. We pray for the global universal church. We remember our brothers and sisters who are in persecuted countries. We're amazed and humbled to think that there are Christians in this world who, who gather in secret who have to worship in silence because they live in states that are, that, that are in utter opposition to the name of Jesus. Lord, would you protect them? God, would you strengthen them and sustain them? Lord, would you give them joy? Joy not in circumstance, but joy in Christ.